I'm really excited to, to be able to share this with you guys today. We'll be able to spend some time speaking to you. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed our Kingdom series? How many of you, honestly, it's made you a little bit uncomfortable, right? It's been challenging. It's been a great series, and, uh, and I've been excited to just hear the messages. This is the sixth message. So if you've missed a couple, go back to our, uh, our app or go to our podcast and go listen to the previous five messages. They are vitally important to, to kind of continue to follow up with this message as well. Uh, but today, I get the wonderful opportunity to speak to you guys about having a kingdom marriage. So I'm excited about that. Now, just kind of preface that, this does not mean that I have a perfect marriage. If anybody's toes are going to be stepped on this morning, mine are going to be included in that because uh, this, there's some wonderful things in here to say, but there's also some challenging things. So uh, I'm excited to share that with you guys. But I have a, a thought that I wanted to, to talk about, and many of you in this place knew me a couple of years ago when I was renovating my house. Some of you even came over to my house and helped me. Uh, and, and you were a part of kind of tearing and ripping some things out. But back in about 2016, 2017, I started to notice some uh, soft spots in my kitchen floor. I live in one of those typical older homes in Crowley that was built in the 50s. And, uh, and so, you know, it started to pull up a little bit of floor, and I realized, man, there's some, some stuff that we got to do here. And so went through the process. It took me a year. I did most of the work myself, but ripped my entire kitchen out in a couple of other areas in my house and completely took it all the way down to the ground and rebuilt it. Uh, but I want to make the note that the problem with my house was more than just the soft spots. There was something that was causing the soft spots. And so I could have done all of that work and renovated everything and fixed all those areas. But if I didn't take care of the things that was causing the soft spots then we would have been back in the same spot even after spending all that time, all that money, all that energy to make everything right. And for me, the problem that was causing the soft spots in my kitchen was a much deeper problem. In fact, it was a, a subterranean problem called termites. I hope you all never have to deal with that. If you have, God bless you. It's, it's aggravating to have to get rid of those things and they, they find themselves anywhere in your house. But I couldn't just go through the process of tearing everything out of my house and fixing the symptoms. I had to fix the problem. And for me, the problem was calling in an, uh, an extermination company to, to spray underneath my house, to, to shoot chemicals into the ground, and to get rid of those termites so that whenever my house was completed, finished, they wouldn't come back and tear everything up again. And so today when we're talking about kingdom marriage, there's many times in our life that we try to just fix the weak spots or the cracks in our marriages without focusing on the foundation, without focusing on the issues that are beneath the surface that are causing the problem. And so there's many of these cracks, there's many of these symptoms, there's financial issues, you know, difficulty with communication, maybe you struggle, you know, seeing different points of view when you're raising your kids. There's, there's a multitude of areas where cracks and weak spots can show themselves in our marriage. But today, I don't want to necessarily focus on those. Today, I want to focus on the foundation of having a kingdom marriage. And so if you haven't noticed, 2020 has been a tough year, right? It's been difficult not only as an individual, but it's been tough on our marriages and it's been tough on our families. And, and if there's ever been a year where, where you've maybe struggled financially, you've struggled with communication, maybe back in March, you spent six weeks in the house together and you're kind of tired of looking at each other a little bit maybe, right? <laughs> Or was that just me? <laughs> um, 2020 has been a tough year, and there's been some real difficulty that has been added to our plate. And so 
I really believe that those are attacks that are intentional by the enemy, especially this year, on the institution of marriage and God's institution of marriage. And so we want to we focus on shoring up that foundation today. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is with his disciples, and the Pharisees bring up a question to him about marriage. And so I want to take a second and just read that scripture really quickly. It's Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. It says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him. They always like to test Jesus and see if they could catch him. They came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, that's important, I want you to remember that. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So a couple of key things I want to focus on here quickly. Number one, we understand that maybe some of you in here have been divorced. That's not necessarily the point of this message today, but today we want to look forward, not behind. So we're not here to condemn you, whatever situation that was. We would love to hear your story if that's that's the case with you, but we're not here to condemn you in that area. We want to look forward towards having a healthy marriage and, and towards the future. So number two... He pointed out to these Pharisees, he said, have you not read? Now, if you're aware of the Bible at the time, there was no New Testament when Jesus was there. He was living the New Testament. It would be written in the future about him. So when he's saying to the Pharisees, have you not read? He can only be talking about one thing, and that's the Old Testament. So he was speaking about the Bible. And then he goes on to say, for this reason, a man shall leave his father's house. What reason was that? Well, in order to highlight that, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the beginning that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees about, and look at that. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. It said, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So the word us in that, let us make man in our image, that's plural, right? It's not singular, God is talking about multiple, but because God, have you heard the term Trinity before? God is a God that exists in a a triunion, three as one. And so when he's speaking here about let us make man, he's not talking about just man, the physical male, he's talking about mankind, let us make mankind in our image. And marriage in this chapter is the first institution that God created on the earth. An institution not being a thing that he created, but a practice and a system within which there would be principles and rules and and guidances to follow. So marriage is the first institution in the Bible that God made. So let's start to get in a little bit deeper to this, to some foundations of a kingdom marriage. Number one, marriage reflects God marriage is intended to reflect God so if God is three in one we just talked about that right God is a triunion he said let us make man in our image if marriage is to reflect God then marriage is just a man and a husband a man and his wife correct 
Marriage is just two. So how does that reflect God if God is a triunion? The point here is that our marriages are intended to be three in one. A husband, a wife, and God as well. There's to be three involved in this marriage in order to reflect God. Do you know why Satan hates marriage so much? It's because kingdom marriages reflect God in this earth. You heard the scripture that says one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand. Whenever, whenever a husband and a wife join together with God at the center, we reflect him in this earth and there's power in that. And Satan hates that and he wants to destroy it. He wants to try to keep you and your wife separated from God and separated from one another. And today we're talking about that, that kingdom marriage, that kingdom foundation. So if it's just you and your wife, just you and your spouse, and God is not involved, then eventually there will become a separation between you two as well. God has to be at the center of it. Genesis 3 is not only the fall of man. You know the story when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they both eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. That was not only the fall of man, but the fall of marriage. What's the first thing that God does? He comes to Adam and he says, why did you eat of the tree that you ate from that I told you not to? And he says, that woman that you gave me. But notice what he did there. He didn't just say that woman. He said that woman that you gave me. He blamed both. He pointed at both. And so all the way from the beginning, that, that fall was not just a fall of man, but it was a fall of that triunion in marriage. When, when Adam sinned, he blamed both. He separated himself and he broke God's intention there. Satan knows that whenever God is in your marriage, hell can't stand against you. He knows it. And so he wants to keep you separated. He wants to keep you where it's just between you and your wife and you don't include God. Because if he can separate the two of you from God, he can separate you from each other as well. The only way marriage works is three in one. I want to prepare you for the next statement because I talked about toes being stepped on, but mine are going to be stepped on here as well. So just listen closely to what I have to say. The number one reason why Kathleen and I, my wife Kathleen, many of you know her, the number one reason that we are married is not for our own happiness. It's not about us. The number one reason that we are married is to live together in triunion with God and to serve His kingdom. Doing it together. If it were just about our happiness, then the moment that one of us became unhappy, then we would have a valid reason to not any longer be in that marriage, right? That's not what marriage is about. I believe that that's a healthy byproduct of a marriage. Happiness is a good healthy byproduct, but it's not always the main focus of the reason that we are to be married. God joined us together so that we could fulfill His principles in the earth as husband and wife to serve His kingdom. As long as we focus on our own selfishness and our own needs as the primary purpose for being in a marriage, then as soon as those needs are no longer being met, we'll have reason to go elsewhere to find those needs to be met. That's not why we are married. 
It's to fulfill God's purposes. There was a man who uh, went to a graveyard one day to visit another to visit one of his friends and he saw another man there and he was he was crying over this grave and he was pounding on it and he said why did you have to die and the man walked up to him and he said he said man I'm sorry to to see you this he said was that your wife he said no it was my wife's first husband (laughs) and man had a selfish mindset didn't he he was looking for a way out funny but it's true that if happiness if happiness is our only reason for being in marriage if if our needs being met is our only reason for being in marriage then we've got it wrong and we will have an easy way out when those needs are longer no longer being met and i don't know about you guys but i don't think that marriages should have an easy way out number two marriage represents Christ and the church. So not only does marriage represent the triunion of God, but marriage also represents Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says again, it starts with this statement. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let one of you let let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So not only are we supposed to represent the triunion of God in our marriage, where it's it's a husband, a wife, and God. But we also represent, as husband and wife, Christ and the church. And in this situation, husbands, you represent Christ, and wives, you represent the church. So let's explain that a little bit more. That way we don't misunderstand that, that we, we don't confuse that. Let's talk to the husbands first. Husbands, you are supposed to lead your wife like Christ led the church. It's our job to lead. In Ephesians chapter 5, 23, it says, husband, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And that's easy for us in this society to misunderstand. So husbands, listen very carefully to the next two or three minutes so that we don't live this out like the world. It says, Just as Christ is the head of the church, He has called men to be the head of the home. It doesn't say that men should be the head. It says that we are. Whether you like it or not, as the husband, as the man in the house, you are the head of your household. And the question is, are you a good head or are you a bad head? Are you leading your family properly or are you leading your family improperly? Because regardless, whether you like it or not, you are leading them. So you have to know If you are leading them the way Christ led the church or not. The essence of masculinity is taking responsibility. 
Our world would like masculinity to look like a lot of things. And it gets portrayed in in commercials and on social media as a lot of things. But oftentimes it's not portrayed as taking responsibility. Because that requires sacrifice, right? A lot of times masculinity in our world is about what I own or what I have or what I do. Our world has made it about, about hunting and lifting weights and lifted trucks and big house. That's where our world has made masculinity about. And those things are not bad. You can have all of those things, but please be fully conscious and aware that those things are not what make you masculine. Taking responsibility to lead your family is what gives you masculinity. Nothing else. Adam and Eve both sinned in the garden. Both were at fault. Eve ate of the forbidden fruit first, but who did God go to to ask? He went to Adam, didn't he? He said, Adam, why did you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It was Adam's responsibility to lead his wife and to lead his family to do the things that God had asked them to do and to not do. So even though Eve was the one that ate from the forbidden fruit first, God came to Adam. So why didn't you lead? It's our responsibility to take up that mantle of masculinity and to lead our families. In the same way Jesus led us, my sins are my fault. But who took responsibility for them and died on the cross? Jesus did. Because he is leading his church as a bride. The same is true in your household. Same is true in your family. It's your job to lead your family in the difference between right and wrong. It's your job to lead your family, take responsibility for all the actions within your household. That responsibility falls on you, men. So this whole mindset that our, our world likes to take this one snapshot of this scripture and say that the man is to be the head of the house, they don't say all this stuff, do they? <laughs> no, no, that's too hard. That's too much weight. But that's the truth of what it means to lead your family like Christ led the church. And husbands, not only are we to lead like Christ led, but we are to love like Christ loved. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 25 uh, to 28. This is going to be from the message version. It says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best uh, bring the best out of her dressing her in dazzling white silk radiant with holiness that is how husbands ought to love their wives to love our wives like Christ loved the church it's not about getting it's about giving 
But what about me? What about my needs? What about the things that I long for? I believe wholeheartedly that if we go first here, if we lead and we love the way that Christ loved the church, our wives will respond in the way that we seek and desire. But we have to go first. It's our job to lead and to love. I like this word holiness in here. And I saw, again, on social media, a post the other day that really just sparked my interest and curiosity about holiness. But it said that holiness in our world has been made about all the things that you can't do. But when the Bible speaks about holiness, it's it's talking about what we give ourselves to. It's talking about what we pour ourselves into. So much so that the things that we don't focus on don't even matter. The things that we shouldn't be doing, that's not a concern because we are pouring ourselves into the right things. And husbands, if we are leading our wives and loving our wives the way that Christ led and loved the church, there will be a holiness about them that they will pour their life into the right things. Not necessarily concerning you, but concerning all the things that the Bible speaks that a wife can and should be. As we lead them and as we love them, there will be a holiness about them that they will pour themselves into those things that make a healthy marriage. Paul did not command husbands to feel love towards their wives. He commanded them to do something about that love. For us to love them physically. And when I say love the wife physically, I'm talking about protecting her, providing for her, making sure that that her physical needs are met. Wives... I believe more than anything oftentimes want to feel safe and protected. And as husbands, it's our job to fight for that. We're supposed to love her emotionally. To put the phone down and listen. To ask them questions about their day. To truly and genuinely be concerned about their well-being and how they feel. We're to love them verbally, to speak honorably about them when they are there and when they're not there. I've been around too many husbands that that speak kindly to their wife when they're around, but when they get around their buddies, it's a whole different story. And when you're a young 24, 25-year-old man getting married like I was, there's, there's plenty of older guys, and when you say, hey, man, I just got engaged and you're all excited about it, first thing out of their mouth is, can I talk you out of it? <laughs> Y'all ever heard that before, right? And maybe it's just a, you know, a, a simple, kind-hearted joke, but I don't want to portray that about my wife. I don't want to portray that about my marriage. I want to build her up with my words. That's my job. We're to love our wives parentally. Not that we need to parent them, but that in our household, we are parenting our children together. 
There's kind of an age-old mindset that it's the, it's the wife's jobs to take care of the kids and the man just provides for the stuff in the house. We are to take an active part in the parenting of our children. Amen. It's our job to have those difficult conversations. It's our job to make sure that our kids respect our wives. It's our job to parent. That means showing up, being a part, being emotionally involved in our kids' life. Especially in 2020. I know there's been so many moms that have been home for so many months this year with their kids. And now more than ever, they need you to be there with them parenting those kids. Give them a break every now and then. And then lastly, we are to love our wives spiritually. We're supposed to be the ones that initiate prayer in our household. To be the ones that teach our family about the Word of God. We're supposed to be the ones that wake our family up to go to church on Sunday morning. There's plenty of moms out there that, that oftentimes feel like they have to drag their husbands to church just like one of the kids. And that's not what God has called us to do or be. God has called us to lead. And we're supposed to be leading spiritually. And it's not just about bringing them to church so that the church can teach our kids about God. We need to be knowing God ourselves and teaching our children about God based on our personal relationship with Him. It's our job to lead. If we do that, I feel that it will be infinitely easier for our wives to hold up the second part of that scripture verse where it says, Husbands, you are to love your wives like Christ loved the church, and wives, you are supposed to respect your husbands. It will be infinitely easier for your wife to show you the respect that you need if you have loved her in the ways that we just described. So ladies... Interestingly enough, there is no command in the Bible for the woman to love her husband. It says to respect him. Because for men, that's, they're one and the same. Respect is love. They mean the same thing to us. We're too simple to, to separate it out in too many different ways. We've got a one-track mind here. I speak from experience. Ladies, the word respect is to notice to regard, to honor, to prefer, to defer to, to encourage, love, and admire. Those are ways that you can respect your husband. There's a couple of different types of respect that I think it's important for us to talk about. Number one, you have to have a head of respect. And this is talking about how you think about your husband. The thoughts in your head. Do you think, oh, he's an idiot. I could have done a better job at that. I'm smarter than he is. I'm more godly. It may just be in your head. But I promise you, it's only a matter of time before those things get fleshed out in the real world. The Bible says to take every thought captive. I know it's our job to go first, but ladies... It's important that you recognize that you have a responsibility here too in the way that you 
you respect in the way that you treat your husband. In the way you think about him. Number two, a heart of respect. How do you feel about your husband? I've been told by someone that put a ring on my finger that feelings are important. You can know how you feel about your husband by what you say. Especially what you say in his absence. The things that you say when your children are around but he's not there. How... Do you respect your husband by the way you feel about him? You should be praying for your husband more than you should be talking about him. Maybe you've only been here for a short while, but we are a church that believes in prayer. And I think that song, Champion, that we sang today, I love that that bridge that said, When I sing... You break the walls down. And he brings us victory. When we open our mouth, it's talking about prayer. It's talking about faith. And so ladies, maybe you're in this, in this place and, and your husband is not yet the type of husband that we talked about, that he's leading and loving the way that you expect him to. We believe that above anything else, prayer is what can change that. How do you feel about your husband? And then the last type of respect is the hands of respect. Hands that touch. Hands that serve, feed, and pray. Three ways that you can respect your husband. is The way you think about him. The way you feel about him. And the way you serve him. Whether it's serving him after he gets home from work or sports, whatever it is, this says right here that men gravitate to where they are most respected. Again, we're pretty simple creatures and we may not even think about it or be conscious about it, but we gravitate to where we are respected most. And God intends for that highest respect to come from home. Husbands, don't forget your job here is to go first. You may not be sensing that respect from your wife in the way that she thinks about you, feels about you, or serves you. But it's important that you love and lead first. And these things will be infinitely easier for your wife to do for you. And the last point that we're going to make today is marriage requires a covenant. Marriage requires a covenant. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 14 it says this, You say for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Here the Israelites, there was a prophet that was prophesying to them about why God was no longer accepting their worship. And one of the reasons that God was not accepting their worship is because the husbands had dealt treacherously and rudely 
to their wives. And Malachi the prophet said to them, he said, She is your companion, your wife by covenant. So what's the difference between a contract and a covenant? What's the difference between a contract and a covenant? A contract protects my rights and limits my responsibilities. You enter a contract with somebody that you don't trust to hold up their end of it. A contract is to protect me because I don't trust you enough to hold up your end of the deal. A contract will say, these are, these are the things, the terms of the contract, and if these terms are not met, then we will cancel the contract and separate the relationship, whether it be a working relationship, business relationship, whatever. Contract is to protect the rights and the responsibilities of those that sign the contract. You have to sign a contract if you're renting a house, buying a house. Why do you sign a contract when you buy a house? Because the bank doesn't know you well enough to just trust that you're going to pay them that money. So you sign a contract that says, if you don't pay this money, we'll take your house away. Because they don't trust you. But marriage requires a covenant. A covenant, alternatively, is where we give up our rights and take on responsibility. That's what a marriage is. On the day you got married, on the day you said, I do, your vows were a covenant to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse in sickness and in health, in richer or poorer, till death do us part. That's a covenant. Those words that you spoke as you looked at your wife and as you looked at your husband are more important than the marriage license that you signed that the state issued. Standing up in front of whoever was at your wedding or whoever was was there as a witness whenever you got married, those words that you spoke to your spouse are more important than the document that you signed because they were a covenant. And it doesn't have terms where it says for better or worse, unless you're the one that's making it worse. Right? For sickness and in health, unless you're the one that's making me sick. It's a covenant. It says, I'm here for better or worse regardless. I'm here for richer or poorer regardless. It means even if your wife's spending all your money at Target. Regardless, it's a covenant, and I'm here until death do us part. Covenant is where I give up my rights and I take on responsibility. Marriage is not a contractual agreement, it's a covenant. And like I said a couple of minutes ago, It's not about your happiness. It's not about what you can get. Marriage is about what you can give. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 9, it says this, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them so that you may prosper in all you do. If you will keep your covenant with your spouse... If you will make your marriage a kingdom marriage 
where God is the foundation and you will prosper in all you do in your marriage. This entire series has been about giving up our rights to serve someone else. And in having a kingdom marriage, you're giving up your rights not only to God, but to your spouse. And in doing that, you serve God as well. The only foundation you should have for your marriage is a kingdom marriage. And your marriage will not be measured by your feelings, by how happy you feel today, by how many date nights you can post on social media, all the things that you've been able to buy for your wife, all the things that your husband gave you. Your marriage is not measured by feelings, but your marriage will be measured by your commitment. What do you do when you don't feel like waking up next to that person? How do you respond? How do, how do you react? How do you change your thinking? You hold up the covenant and you make God the foundation of your marriage. That's the only way that you will sustain a healthy marriage until death do us part. Timothy Keller, he said, you don't fall in love, but you commit to it. Maybe you haven't been there yet, but you can start today. There's always going to be times where you don't feel like it. Where you feel like focusing on yourself more than you do your spouse. After a long day of work, after a night of the kid screaming all night long. When you're hangry. There's always moments where you don't feel like putting your spouse first, but you want your needs to be met. But that's not the foundation of a healthy marriage. Love doesn't give a person what they deserve. It gives them what they need. Sometimes your reaction may be justified, but that doesn't make it right. Love doesn't give someone what they deserve, but what they need. On your spouse's worst day, that's when they need you the most. And in the same way that our marriages are to represent God and represent Christ in the church, on our worst day, Jesus did not turn his back on us, but he ran to us. And so having received that perfect love, we have a great example with which to respond to our spouses when they need us most. To be humbled by the fact that when you were at your lowest of lows, Jesus still ran to you. He picked you up, he cleaned you up, and he called you his own. He called you by his name. Let's look to that example today. That is a kingdom marriage. 
And that is the foundation that needs to be fixed before we start repairing the cracks in our marriage. So maybe today you're having financial problems with your spouse or communication problems or you disagreed even this morning on how to parent your kids or maybe on the way to church you yelled at each other because you were late and uh, you didn't have breakfast and all of this stuff. I get it. I've been there. But those are cracks in the relationship because the foundation is shaky. So before you start focusing on all the cracks, focus on having a kingdom marriage where God is the origination point and the center of it. If you can set that in place, then you can start focusing and investing your time in fixing the cracks in your marriage. And in the same way, as individuals, God wants to be the foundation of our lives. And that's, that's what this entire series of Thy Kingdom Come has been about. About submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and being a part of His kingdom. Realizing that He is the King and we are His sons and His daughters. And we are to honor Him that way. And having a kingdom marriage is one of the most powerful ways and examples, especially in our world, that we can do that. So just bow your heads and let's pray. With everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, if you're in this place today and you want a fresh start to your marriage and you want to build your marriage on that kingdom foundation if you could just lift your hand so that we can pray for you thank you I see those hands thank you thank you God I pray for each and every spouse in this place that that raised their hand I pray that they would recognize that oftentimes the problem is not the one that we married, but the problem is where our foundation is. And the good news is that we can make the choice to change that today. So for each and every one of these, God, these husbands, these wives that lifted their hands today for a fresh start in their marriage, God, I pray that you would help them recognize the importance of having you with them in that triunion, husband, wife, and God. And that they would start today putting you first as individuals and also putting you first in their marriage. We believe for miracles. We believe for restoration. God, for those this morning that feel like they're on their last thread, God, I pray that you would give them a, a fresh new hope this morning. And we believe that as we apply these principles, these kingdom principles in our life in faith, because God knows we don't feel like it. When we apply these principles in faith, 
you will begin to turn our marriages around, God. In Jesus' name.